0: Thank you. I, I want to thank you all for being with us today. If you're a first-time guest, and I met several of you hanging out in the parking lot today, this is your very first time. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, we handed you several things today. If you're a first-time guest, one of them is what we call connection card. If you will between now and the end of the service, make sure and fill this out. Let us know that that uh, that you're here today. We want to send you an email this week. We want to send you a little gift in the mail and say thank you for coming. Uh, Our promise to you is we're not going to show up unannounced at your house. We're not going to call you in the middle of dinner. Uh, But if you're here for the very first time, we want to make sure as a church that we do everything we can to minister to you, your family, your friends, neighbors. If there's anything we can do, please let us know. So let us know that you're here today when the offering goes by. Throw this in the offering basket at the end, and we will be faithful. To follow up and introduce ourselves uh, to you this week, you are in if you 're a guest or a regular attender you 're in for a real treat today, uh, because, as I said in my email that I sent out to our church this week, my favorite preacher in America is here to preach to us today. Uh, Clayton King is a man that, uh, that I met just about a little over a little over three years ago. Uh, we were preaching at the same summer camp I was doing the mornings. he did an evening session, and God had about nine months before I met Clayton, God had called me to leave what I was doing and to to strike out on my own and was calling Danielle and I to start a church. But I was scared to death. I was scared to leave. Uh, I didn't want to sell my house. I didn't want to move to a new community. I didn't want my kids to have to change schools. So in my heart for nine months, i had been saying, I know this God is what you want me to do, but I just don't know that I can do it. And in the midst of meeting Clayton and talking with him, uh, I kind of explained my scenario, my situation. We were just kind of hanging out and talking. And he prayed a prayer that's a prayer that, that I'll never forget, uh, and it's a prayer that, that God answered. He said, well, can I just pray with Danielle and you? And I said, yeah. So he started praying for us, and here's what he prayed. I can remember his words verbatim. Uh, he said, God, if Christian um, does not have the guts to step out in faith, then, God, you kick him off the cliff so that he has no choice but to start this church. It's the first time anyone w- was praying for me that right in the middle I want to say, hey, hang out, time, time out, like take that one back because I don't, are, are you sure you really meant that and he did uh, and over the next six months god did I mean we we found our, ourselves in a place where um, We had to be obedient and clayton didn't just pray over us But has faithfully walked with us the last two or three years He's the teaching pastor at New Spring Church, where the pastor is Perry Noble, who's one of his very best friends. Uh, if you know the church world at all, New Spring's one of the largest churches in America. It's one of the most influential churches in the world. It's a church of about 20 25,000 people. He's the campus pastor at Liberty University, where I graduated from. He goes up there every Wednesday night and ministers to the students. He's the founder and president of Crossroads Worldwide Ministry just outside of Shelby, North Carolina. He's been all over the world doing mission trips, Um, but he is the most encouraging person in my life. I often have people ask me, Christian, like when you have a spiritual need, who do you go to? I go to guys like Clayton, and he has been a tremendous friend to Danielle and I. His wife, Shari, spoke at our ladies retreat all weekend long and just blessed us So much, literally. If we did a guys' ladies' retreat, I would have her come back and speak to the guys. I got so much out of it. Uh, But he is here today to minister to us and to hang out with us. So I want you to put your hands together and give a big Kansas City welcome to Clayton King as he comes
1: to minister to us today. Can uh, Can we do something right now that uh, needs to be done? You probably do this all the time anyway. But uh, I, want, uh, I want us to, to praise God for Christian and Danielle and for their faith to strike out with no promise of anything except a call from God. I want us to honor this great man and this great woman right now for having the courage to start Journey Church. It's a blessing. It's a real blessing to know you. And I praise God for you guys. Um this, is, this has been a real neat uh, trip for me. I n- had never been to Kansas until Friday. So uh, this has been real neat for me, not only get to see Christian and Danielle, but now I have visited Kansas and I can say that my life is complete. Um, and then today I'm going to have another first experience. I'm going to get to go to a Chiefs game. And I'm really excited about that. My kids are Carolina Panthers fans because we live in Charlotte. And uh, so they love the Panthers. Uh, I hate the Panthers. I love the Dallas Cowboys. So I really don't care who wins today. But I'm pulling for the Chiefs because I'm here. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. And in Jesus' name, they're going to win big. So put money on it. Really, go bet on it. Give all the winnings to Journey Church International. Um, as you guys can tell, I'm pretty stiff and straight-laced and traditional. So um, for the next two and a half hours, I'm going to be preaching to you from Luke 24. Um, I want to introduce you to my wife. Uh, Just wave at Ashari. This is my lovely wife over here, and she was with the ladies. You can say hello to her. And... uh She taught at the women's retreat this weekend and did a fantastic job. My wife is an author. She's an artist and a painter. She's also a homeschool mom. We're homeschooling our kids for the second year this year, and we love that. My two boys are here with me. They're not in the room with us right now. They're in the children's church area. So if you hear weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, my kids are beating up your kids because we're from North Carolina and we're rednecks. So that's what they're doing right now. They probably got your kid duct taped up in a corner somewhere. Um, And uh, my assistant, Jordan, one of my best friends, is with me today he travels with us whenever we travel around. And and I want to let you know that it's a real real treat for me to get to come and preach for for Christian. He is a great guy, you know that. But he's one of those guys, when I met him and Danielle, I knew right off the bat I was going to be lifelong friends with them. Uh, They've... They've just really impressed me as being people that are humble, real, approachable, have a heart for God. They want to see people say there is nothing phony or fake or pretentious about them. And I just want you to know how rare it is to find that in ministry. So for me to get to come and preach uh, today to your people is a real treat and a real honor. And I just want to let you know that um, that that Christian, whenever you get right with God and hear God speak to you and obey, yes, I'd love to come back and preach again. Absolutely. The answer is yes. Now, y'all haven't heard me yet, so don't don't say amen. Um, but I do want to preach the gospel to you today, and I, and I do want to take you to a scripture in Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 24 for a little bit. And let me kind of set this up for you. Um, I don't know much about you except for what Pastor Christian has told me. You don't know a whole lot about me. I just turned 40. Tuesday was my 40th birthday. I know I look way, way younger than that. I get that all the time. Um, Just turned 40. My wife and I are celebrating our wedding anniversary today, actually, is our wedding anniversary. And um, we've been married for 13 years, seven months, and one day. Today. 13 years, seven months, and one day. I'm an evangelist. I travel and preach, been doing this for 25 years, started preaching when I was 14, and uh, I'm campus pastor at Liberty, teaching pastor at New Spring, Uh, I'm an author, I'm a dad, uh, and I love to just meet new people. This whole setting today is real familiar to me because I've helped and been a part of seeing God plant some churches from the very beginning. Our church at New Spring started off with 12 people in a living room. And so for me to come in and, and get to see you guys and get to see you ladies uh, show up early, I know some of you get here at 7 a.m. for setup and you're unloading the trailers, and you're setting up chairs, and you're putting up pipe and drape, and I know how all that feels. And I just want to speak a word to your church for a moment before I preach this, this passage. When a church begins... Like Journey Church began, with nothing but faith and a vision from God, then you have to sacrifice and you have to serve and you have to give in order to make the church work. And without um, going into great detail, I'll just tell you that that gets deeply embedded into your DNA as a church and it sticks with your church forever forever. And so at this stage at Journey Church, being a little over a year old uh, and seeing growth and seeing people saved and looking out and seeing almost every single metal chair filled in this middle school gym, that's an encouraging thing. But I just want to tell you that you haven't seen anything yet. You are just getting started. You don't even have a clue what God is gonna do. I have chills on my arms, the hair on my arms is standing up right now. This is a spirit-led moment right now and I want you to hear this. You need to start dreaming, all of you, not just not just the staff, not just the senior pastor, not just the guys up here on this stage who lead worship, not just the setup crew and the volunteers. You all need to begin dreaming and visualizing what God could do with this church to change Missouri, Kansas, the central part of this region of the country, the entire nation, even the world. You have not even begun to dream or imagine what God can do with you because already, deeply embedded into your culture and DNA is this idea that God has told us to do this and we're going to do it. We don't have any guarantees. We don't have a template. We don't have a five-year plan. We don't have a 10-year plan. Here's what we know. We love Jesus and we want to see lost people find life in Christ. That is a great place to start. So I want to pray over you right now before I preach this passage to you from Luke 24. Lord, I want to speak life and anointing I want to speak increase and favor over this church. And right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would send a very special double portion of your power and your anointing on Pastor Christian, on Danielle, on the team, on the volunteers, on these people who are sitting right here in this gym today. I pray, God, that every single plan that the enemy has devised to stop or to slow down what you are doing would fail. We claim your scripture, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I pray, Lord, that this church, as it builds a deep foundation, as it grows deep into your word, as it sees people fall in love, not just with the church, but fall in love with Jesus Christ, that you would continue to to build into the culture of this church a DNA that loves to work, that loves to pray, that loves to see lost people find life in Christ. And Lord, I thank you that right now today we can look forward in advance and we can believe in faith that in the future you will do things that we could not even conceive or imagine in our minds. And Lord, I pray that as we see you do those things in our hearts, our motives would not be so that people will know our name or who we are or what we can do, but that people will know Jesus. Lord, would you do your work, and would you show up and show off? And I thank you so much that I get to be a part of uh, this church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I I grew up in three different church traditions. Some of y'all, you grew up in church. You know what? I'm just going to take a survey. Um, How many of you grew up Baptist? Yeah, that's what I thought. Me too. How many of you grew up uh, Pentecostal or Charismatic or Assemblies of God? All right, me too. Did any of you grow up Presbyterian, Calvinist, or Reformed? Okay, me too. Yeah, you all feel a little bit crazy. I feel like an absolute nutcase. I grew up Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal, all three churches. My parents were Southern Baptists. They adopted me when I was just a few days old. Parents were Southern Baptists, went to a Presbyterian Christian school where the pastor wore a dress. I didn't know it was a clerical robe. I thought it was a dress because I was in kindergarten. And then my grandfather, who was a beer-drinking, pot-smoking, womanizing bluegrass musician, gave his life to Christ at age 60 after he was nearly killed in a car wreck. And he got saved and remarried a Pentecostal woman who did not wear makeup or jewelry. She had a PhD haircut. You know what that is, right? The PhD Pentecostal hairdo piled high and deep. Come on, people. Some of y'all... Give me a courtesy laugh. I worked hard on that. Man. So he remarried this Pentecostal woman after he got saved because my grandmother died of cancer. And he becomes a Pentecostal. I'm talking like a a card-carrying, full-fledged, full-on Pentecostal. So I went to Baptist church on Sunday morning and Sunday night with my parents. Presbyterian school five days a week where we memorized catechisms and the preacher wore a dress. And Pentecostal church with my grandfather on Sunday nights where people spoke all together at the same time in languages I had never heard while swinging from the chandeliers and throwing hymn books at one another. So I grew up with this crazy jacked up view of God and Jesus and religion. And I always tell people, you know, I'm Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. And you'll know what that means, right? You know what that means. I was predestined to speak in tongues while eating fried chicken at a deacon's meeting while drinking wine. Now that was funny, I don't care who you are. Care who you are, that's funny stuff. So, I grew up in, in a religious uh, environment where my dad was my Sunday school teacher, my, my mom sang in the choir, my dad was a deacon, chairman of the deacons every four years because they would rotate on and off the deacon board. If you're not a Baptist, you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry, it's not that exciting. Um, but I grew up in this religious environment and I saw Jesus all the time. I saw Pictures, artist renderings of Jesus, you know, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian Jesus, who, who, uh, kind of a pasty flesh color, who probably had to wear a lot of sunscreen. Um, I saw, I saw pictures of Jesus on the, I'm going to date myself, age myself here a little bit, on the flannel graph. I don't know if any of y'all had a flannel graph growing up. These kids nowadays are spoiled. They get like videos of Jesus and they get iPads where they can download pictures and Bible studies. We had, to, we had little flannel Jesuses that we put up Jesus and the animals and Mary and Joseph in the manger. So I had been around Jesus and, and um, the people of Jesus and I'd heard the stories about Jesus and we at Christian school had Bible class every single day. So I was, you know, seeing Jesus without ever actually seeing Jesus. And that kind of, to me, typifies and encapsulates American culture kind of where we're at right now. A lot of people, especially in the South or the the Midwest, grew up around the things of God, church on every corner. Maybe you attended vacation Bible school or maybe you were raised in church or at least you had some exposure to the traditional religious uh, culture of America. But I just wonder how many of us have actually really seen him because if we really see Jesus, it changes us. And here's an example I've been to the Grand Canyon multiple times. I took the month of September off um, but to rest. I've lo- I lost my mom and my dad both in 18 months. My dad died in June, and I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day. And so I've, I've come out of the two worst years of my life very depressed. Uh, very emotionally distraught, uh, filled with anxiety and discouragement. Doing great now, but went through a really, really dark time where I just couldn't feel like I could get any traction emotionally to move forward. So we took the month of September off to rest, and we took a vacation to Arizona, and I got to take my kids to the Grand Canyon for the first time. And I've been to the Grand Canyon before. And I was trying to explain the Grand Canyon to my kids. I wanted them to know what it looked like. And they had seen pictures of the Grand Canyon in magazines and books and online. But you can't really understand the Grand Canyon by looking at a picture. You actually have to be there. You actually have to experience it. You actually have to see it. Because the word awesome means one thing when you say, wow, that Alabama-Georgia game last night was awesome or wow, that 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 steak I ate for dinner last week was awesome. The word awesome doesn't mean the same thing when you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and it takes your breath away. And you look at it and you say, now that is really awesome. And I think that's the way a lot of us in America, and maybe even you today, have always viewed Jesus. You've you've seen Jesus, you've experienced the residual effects of religion or the Christian faith. But the real question for me is, have we ever actually seen him? Because when you actually see Jesus, you cannot be the same afterwards. It changes you. It's so breathtaking. He is so lovely. He is so beautiful. He is so filled with compassion and mercy and love that you can't really See him, feel him, taste him, experience him, and walk away. The same woman, or the same man, but people are around Jesus and the things of Jesus all the time, and they just don't get it. Perfect example is this story in Luke twenty-four. Let me set up the context for you. Jesus has just risen from the dead. Now, when I say just risen from the dead, I mean like that morning. He is fresh out the tomb. Okay, fresh out the tomb. He has been dead for three days. He is literally hours uh, out of the tomb. And he's alive. He's walking around Jerusalem. He's showing himself to people as a testimony to his resurrection, because he'd already told people he was going to be raised from the dead. People didn't really understand it. Some people didn't believe it. And Jesus winds up face to face with two men who see Jesus, but they don't really see Jesus, if you know what I mean. And here's how the story goes. Luke chapter 24, we'll start off in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And just to give you a little context, I may stop uh, at a few verses here. Course, in those days, unless you were wealthy and owned a horse or a chariot, you had to walk everywhere you went. So a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus would take about half a day. The average man or woman could walk about eighteen to twenty miles a day if they didn't stop, except to maybe go to the bathroom or eat a bite or take a drink of water, keeping a pretty brisk pace. So a seven-mile walk would probably take about half a day. You could imagine that they um, going from Jerusalem to Emmaus would spend five, six maybe seven hours, depending on how fast they walked or how slow they walked. So these men are walking to Emmaus. They were, verse 14, talking with each other about everything that had happened. Well, what is the subject of their conversation? It was Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the miracles he performed. They're talking about how the Jewish leadership turned against him. They're talking about how the Romans crucified him. They're talking about the things that took place at the resurrection, like the sky turning black, like an earthquake taking place. And if you read Matthew's gospel, dead people coming out of graves and walking around in full view of Jewish people in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. That's some crazy stuff. They're talking about all that. They're trying to figure out what's going on? Was Jesus just another phony Messiah? Was he just another fake savior? Because the Israelites had seen many of those, even in Jesus's time, people would show up and declare, I'm the Messiah, follow me, and I'm going to bring back the glory of Israel. And most of those guys ended up just like Jesus, beat up, imprisoned, whipped with a cat of nine tails, or crucified on crosses. Jesus winds up crucified on a cross because he dared mess with the political structure and the religious power structure that had been established, and so they killed him to shut him up. They thought it would end his little movement. It backfired. It did not end his movement. It crystallized his movement. Here we are 2,000 years later, the people of Jesus Christ in his church following him, reading the book he wrote about the life he lived, but these guys still aren't convinced of what's happened. The next verse says in verse 15, As they talk and discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. This is awesome. They're talking about Jesus, and then, poof, there's Jesus. Now, how did Jesus show up? I don't know. I think he flew. Just because I think it would be awesome to fly. Maybe he vaporized into their presence. I don't know. Maybe he was like one of the X-Men and there's like a nebulous cloud and all of a sudden, ah, you know, <laughs> I just would like for Jesus to scare them. I just wish he had done that. I just wish he had went, boo, because ah, I like to scare people. I love it more than black coffee. I love it more than steak. I just love to scare people. I know I need to get saved, but I can't help it. That is fun for me. Jesus shows up and they don't even recognize him. Now this, something kind of similar to this happened to my wife and I recently. Uh, we were in Canada and we were on Canadian television promoting our new book. We just wrote a book on marriage and relationships called 12 Questions and we had recorded our TV interview that morning in the studios on Canadian television, and we were gonna stay for three extra days in Toronto, just the two of us for a little vacation to get away and rest and have some fun. And our TV in our hotel room was broken. It would only get four channels. So we're flipping the channels and it wouldn't work. And my wife was like, call down to the front desk and see what's going on. So they said, we'll send someone up to fix your TV. So while we're waiting on someone to come fix our TV, we're flipping the channels. And one of the four channels that worked was a channel that had us on it, like our broadcast was there. So Shari and I are in our hotel room watching ourselves on TV. And I'm like, wow, honey, you look great. And I look really bald and my head is so big. That's like a watermelon. Oh my goodness, did, did, that, did my parents feed me head steroids? I was really amazed at how large my head looked and shiny too. Like, wax on, wax off. And I'm looking at that, and then there's a knock on the door, and I'm totally mesmerized with watching ourselves on TV knock on the door, and this very nice Asian young man walks up to the door and says, um, I'm here to fix our TV. I said, okay, come on in. And he walks in, and I was like, the TV doesn't work. We're only getting four channels. And he looks at the TV, and then he looks at us. <laughs> he looks back at the TV, and he looks at us, and he said, oh my God, <laughs> Like it was just too much for him. He's, and I was like, you see that? He's like, yes. I was like, boo. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I wish I had. He could have been a ninja. I don't know. So I just didn't decide enough to do that. This is, this is the weirdest thing. These guys are talking about Jesus and he's right there. Sometimes we have no idea that while we're having conversations about God, while we're doing the work that God's called us to do, when we're showing up at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the freezing cold of January and February, in the pouring rain of April, in the hot summer months of June and July, and we're waving at people when they walk in and we're greeting people in the parking lot, and, and you're volunteering to help take care of other people's kids so they can sit in here and have a worship experience where they meet God and hear God and see God and, 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 and see God move in their life. We have no idea that sometimes while we're doing the things of God, we forget God's right there with us. He's watching, he's in us, with us and for us. He never leaves our side, but oftentimes we are kept from recognizing him. And that's what really stands out to me about verse 16. Jesus is right there with them, but they're kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know what kept them from seeing Jesus. God and his sovereignty had another plan. He wanted to kind of spring the the, the secret on them later, but what keeps you from recognizing God? I'll tell you what keeps me from recognizing Jesus a lot of times, busyness. I mean, I got stuff to do. I've got kids to raise. I've got a relationship with my wife. I've got a large ministry with seven employees and eight interns that I run. I travel 150 days a year. I pastor people. I I pastor pastors. I write books. I have a book deadline uh, in 12 days from today. Like, I'm leaving today and going to the game, and then I'm flying to Los Angeles and preaching tomorrow night on TV in Los Angeles on TBN. Like, I'm a busy guy. So sometimes when I'm doing the work of God, I totally forget. God's there, and He wants to know me, and He wants me to know Him. And while I'm so busy doing the things I'm supposed to do, sometimes I don't even recognize what God's doing. And sometimes God has to kind of show up and surprise us. Uh, I had a friend in high school. I led him to Christ. We played football together. His name was Adrian Brazier. And Adrian loved classic rock. So when Adrian got saved, Adrian felt like the Lord told him to burn all of his secular music. Now, back in our day, I don't know if you ever burned all of your secular music, Christian. You probably never listened to it. You were so holy. You didn't, you, you didn't have to burn yours. But I was, a, I was a hellion and a pagan, and I loved rock and roll, country, rap, bluegrass. I loved it all. So that was what you had to do to show your love for Jesus back in the 80s when I got saved. You had to burn all your albums and cassettes. Some of y'all are like, what is a cassette? A- ask your grandparents. They know. So, so Adrian got saved and decided he was going to burn all of his secular music. And he says to me, I'm going to get rid of Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Leonard Skinner. Uh I'm getting rid of, of, of everything. But I prayed about it and God told me that I could keep one band in my music collection. I said, well, who is it? He said, Bad Company. They're my favorite. There's nothing bad. Their lyrics are not about sex, drugs, rock and roll, or women that dip or anything bad like that. I know y'all don't have that in Missouri. We do in North Carolina. He said, so the Lord told me I could keep listening to Bad Company. And I'm like, okay, because I'd already burnt my secular music and then bought it back. <laughs> so I was in no position <laughs> to tell him what to do. <laughs> so we're riding down the road about two weeks later, and he hit a Mazda 323, I'll never forget it, riding down the road, and um, he, had, he, he was listening to, to some music and... Um, we would always listen to music in his car. We weren't listening to music at that moment. And I was trying to disciple this new believer. And I said, so Adrian, what's God been teaching you? What's God been saying to you in your quiet times? Um, he's like, well, I've really been hearing God speak to me and I've really been seeing God move. I said, really, how? And he goes, I'll show you. He reaches over and pushes eject on the cassette player, grabs a cassette, whizzes it past my face, out the window, onto the side of the road. And we're driving away. I was like, you litter bug, what did you just do that for? He said, God spoke to me in my quiet time this morning and I've missed it. I've missed it these last two weeks. I was like, really, what did God say to you? He said, I was reading a passage of scripture in the New Testament and here's what it said. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. <laughs> you ever had one of those moments? One of those moments, it's like like the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, okay, I see it now. I understand how dumb I was. How stupid could I be? These guys are talking about Jesus. He shows up and then it gets absolutely comical. Verse 17, he asked them, now I'm gonna do my King James Jesus, okay? What are you discussing together as you walk along? Can't you just see Jesus being so smug? See, now he knows what they're talking about because he's God. (laughs) Try to keep a secret from Jesus. You can't keep a secret from Jesus. He knows what they're talking about. He is just setting them up for the big finale. You can't keep a secret from Jesus. Just stop. If you're a sinner, which you are, you are. I love you. You're a sinner. Okay. Just confess your sin to Jesus. He already knows and he loves you anyway. Uh, You can't keep a secret from Jesus. Try throwing Jesus a surprise birthday party. He knows it's Christmas. He knows. Try telling Jesus a knock-knock joke. Just try it sometime. Hey, Jesus. Yes, my child. I have a joke for you. Okay. Knock-knock. I know. He knows. He knows who's there. Mickey Mouse's underwear. I mean, for real. What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. This is so hilarious. Remind me of my kids when they don't get what they want. You know, they pout, they run their lips out. They're standing there with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, I love love the condescension in his question. He, (laughs) He is asking Jesus, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened there in these days. In other words, did you just land from Mars? Have you been living in a cave? Did did you embed yourself in the hills of of, of Tennessee during Y2K? Where have you been? (laughs) Have you not been paying attention to these things? And Jesus says in verse 19, what things? What things? He wants them to ask him. He wants them to talk to him. He wants a conversation. He wants a relationship with these two guys. Don't miss this very important part of this passage. Jesus Christ is different than every other God of every other religion or every other deity of every other worldview. There is not another God in the world. And you you can count the 300 million deities in Hinduism. There is not another God or another deity who has ever in any written script or any oral tradition ever desired to have conversation with or relationship with his or her people, except for our God. He wants to be up close and personal. He is not an outer space God who barks orders at his slaves and tells them what to do. He is not like the God of Islam. He is not like Allah. If you meet a Muslim, they will always say, Inshallah, if God is willing, because they believe that God gets to choose who's in and who's out, and all God wants is for people to do his bidding. Our God wants us to do more than just work for him. Our God wants us to know him. And may I drop another footnote? See, the Pentecostal is coming out at me right now. And if that woman keeps clapping and saying amen, I'm going to go crazy and dance a jig up on the stage. And furthermore, and furthermore, he not only wants a relationship with us, but he has paid the price to establish the relationship that we could never establish on our own because we are too small and too weak. And Jesus is walking with them, talking to them because eternal life. Listen, I'm looking forward to heaven and I hope there are streets of gold and I hope I get to play basketball with Jesus and Michael Jordan, okay? I'm looking forward to heaven, but eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing Christ. John 17, three says so. Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and your son whom you have sent. Look it up, it's what it says. Eternal life is not getting to go to heaven. Eternal life is the fact that Jesus is there. I wouldn't wanna go to heaven forever if Jesus wasn't there. I'd be fine going to the Waffle House forever if Jesus was there. I'd actually be fine going to the Waffle House forever even if Jesus wasn't there, but I wanna live past 42. So getting back to the text, what things he said. Verse 19, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And they're preaching the gospel to Jesus. They They are preaching the gospel to Jesus. Look at verse 20. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but they did not find Jesus there. So they are now telling Jesus the whole story. This is fresh. This is is happening. It's unfolding as they are walking with Jesus. They're like, we don't know if he's alive. We don't know if he's dead. We don't know if somebody somewhere took his body, hid his body. We don't know if they stole his body in the middle of the night. We we really don't know what's going on, but here's what we know. The women, the women, the women went to the tomb first. Can I just drop a footnote right here? Can I clean me out of spot? See, When the witnesses went to the tomb and found it empty, it was just like the women said. Men, do you know the smartest thing you will ever do in your life is to listen to your wife? God, oh, come on, girl. I threw that one underhanded so y'all could knock it out of the park, girls. God has given women an ability, a spiritual discernment that men don't have. So when Christian and I are talking, and we're talking about life and ministry and struggles and joys and and, and wins and victories and discouragements, I will always ask him, I asked him this yesterday, what's Danielle say about that? How does Danielle feel about that? Listen, I can do ministry without a wife as a single man, I can do ministry with a wife as a married man, but I cannot, will not, and in Jesus' name, will never do ministry against my wife. Never will do ministry against her. Why? Why? Because these women show what all good men know, and that is that God has given your wife to you as a helper, as a partner in life and in marriage and in ministry. And when you disobey or ignore or, or you choose to completely shut your ears and eyes off to the discernment that the Spirit of God gives your godly wife, you will pay a severe price for it, men. Oh, and by the way, there are some people that believe women should never proclaim the gospel. Huh. Can I just remind you that in the Bible, the very first evangelists who proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus were a bunch of women, and do you know why the women were able to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus? Because they had the courage to get up and go to the tomb first, while all the disciples were scared while all the disciples were afraid to go, while all the disciples are, are are wondering, did Jesus really raise from the dead? If we go, will we be arrested? Will we be crucified? The women get up and go, and they meet the angel, and they go and proclaim. The, the Greek word is evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelist. The women were the first evangelists to proclaim the resurrection of the dead, and they are telling Jesus. The women went, Jesus was gone, then the men went, it was just like the women said, an angel said he was risen from the dead, where's all this going? Here's where it's going. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. Then Jesus, and this is one of those cool moments in Scripture where all rivers converge together. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who wrote the Scriptures, is preaching the Scriptures that he wrote about himself while he is there face to face with them. John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and lived among us. So the word of God who wrote the word of God is now preaching the word of God that he wrote about himself and he's standing there doing it in the flesh. He's there and they still don't see him. Then something really amazing happens. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. Now listen, I'm a southern boy. Um, You can probably tell by my accent. I am from the deep south and I love the south. I love sweet tea. I love 2% milk. I love vitamin D whole milk. I love biscuits with gravy. I love butter on everything. Listen, south is more than a direction. It's a way of life, okay? (laughs) I'm just telling you. I love the south. I like to hunt. Some of y'all animal lovers might be offended at that because you think I killed Bambi. No, I have never killed Bambi. I killed Bambi's dad, (laughs) legally and ethically, all right? But in the South, here's what people in the South will do. I'm not one of those people that think the South is better. Uh, Matter of fact, I think sometimes the South is way more fake and phony and shallow because in the South, people can hate your guts and be plotting your demise and look at you and say, Oh, honey, I love that outfit on you. When in her mind she's thinking, you look like a big old fat hog and it would look a lot better on me than it would on you. And I can't believe you would ever wear something like that out in public in the first place. <laughs> That's how it is in the South. But in the South, this happens a lot. They're walking, they get to Emmaus, and, and, they, and they say to Jesus, it's almost dark, come spend the night at our house, we'll fix you a meal. And Jesus, this is kind of the Southern thing, Jesus defers. This is what people do in the South won't y'all stay for dinner? Oh, no, I could never impose upon your hospitality. Oh, we've got plenty to eat. We can just put some more beans on the stove. We'll fry up another chicken. We'll put together another pound of cornbread. Come on. Oh, no, I could never, ever take. And this is kind of what they're doing. This is the same way they did it back then. They say to Jesus, come on and eat with us. He's like, oh, no, no, I I could not impose. And he acts like he's going to go a little bit farther. And they're like, oh, come on, please. Now, why do they want Jesus to come and stay with them? because he's just blown their minds with the Bible. He's just preached to them from the prophets, from Moses, from the law. He has just shown the Old Testament to be all about himself, and they still don't know that it's him. That's why they want Jesus to stay. Teach us more. Tell us more. Show us more. Talk more about the Messiah. So he obliges. He goes in and they sit down at the table and they go to eat their meal. And it says in verse 30, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then the light bulb goes off. Then the scales fall from their eyes. Then they see it. They see Jesus. When he breaks the bread at the table, something supernatural and miraculous happens. Their eyes are open. The fog lifts and clears. And they realize that it's him. Their eyes were open. They recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us When he taught with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And there was something happening in their heart when Jesus was talking to them. And I've been doing this for a long time. For some people, when they meet Jesus for the first time for real, they they feel I've had people explain it to me they feel like their heart rate increases. Some people get hot. Some people will, will feel a little bit of sweat on the back of their neck or on maybe the back of their legs get warm or feel like a rubber band like I used to feel when I would get pulled over by the cops for speeding. That nervous kind of... Some people feel like uh, that, that there are butterflies in their stomach. Some people get sweaty palms. Some people feel like their vision kind of constricts and everything gets into, a, into tunnel vision. But, but for these guys, when they're walking with Jesus, the only way they could describe what they felt was that their heart burned within them. That is not hard to understand, people. What makes your heart rate go up? What gets you excited? What is it that you love? Let me tell you, I watched both of my children born. I watched my my wife give birth to our kids, and it did something to my heart. My heart burned within me. When we saw the sonogram for the first time and realized we were having a little boy and he was healthy, something began to burn within my heart. The first time I laid my eyes on my wife at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, I didn't even know who she was. I saw her profile. I didn't know if she was married. I didn't know if she was in college. I didn't know if she worked for the FBI. No idea. But when I saw her, something happened. The heavens parted. The angels began to sing, hallelujah. And I said, Jesus, I want that one right there. And he gave her to me. You know, there are moments in your life, for real, there are moments in your life where something happens and the hair on your arm stands up. You feel feel the chills start on the back of your neck and work down your spine. There are moments where something just takes your breath away. And we think that those moments are weird and strange and that the rest of our mundane life is normal. And I'm here to tell you that no, it's opposite. It's opposite. Jesus should take our breath away. Jesus should cause our hearts to burn within us. And when they see Jesus and they realize it's him, it all makes sense. For some of you, your whole entire life, you've been working and laboring and striving for money, for security, to be debt-free, to pay for your kids to go to college, to pay off the house, and you have worked, and you have labored, and nothing has clicked. And I'm telling you, what you need today is you need to have, you need to have that moment where the scales fall off of your eyes, and boom, it all makes sense, and all the dots connect, and all the rivers converge, and you realize I was made by God for Jesus. I was made to know Jesus. I was made to have a relationship with Jesus. But there's one thing I wanna leave you with before I pray. It says that their eyes were opened as he broke the bread. Now, what was significant about that act? Well, here's what I think. I think that as Jesus is sitting at the table breaking the bread, These men's minds are already on God. They're thinking about Jesus. They want to know if Jesus is real. They want to know if Jesus is resurrected because they know, listen, they know that if Jesus really is raised from the dead, then he really is the Messiah and they better follow him. And I'll say the same thing to you men and women today. If Jesus really is raised from the dead, then you need to know him. You need to get on his side. You need to ask him to forgive you of your sins. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, he was a liar and a phony and a fraud. But if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then he really is who he claimed to be and not just another guy trying to take advantage of people. So what was it that opened their eyes? In those days when they would cook the the bread, much like pita bread today, they would break that bread, big pieces they would cook in open stoves, they would break that bread. And here's what I think happened. I think as Jesus breaks that bread, they see his hands. I've never read anybody that said this. I don't know if any scholars agree with this, but it came to me one day as I was actually preaching this passage that Jesus carried with him the scars of his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, Thomas... Said he wouldn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead unless he could see the scars. And Jesus shows up and says, your wish is my command, Thomas. See my hands and feet. Thrust your hand into my side. And Thomas falls on his face and declares my Lord and my God. When a bullet or a knife goes into flesh, it leaves a very different scar than when it exits. You talk to anybody in forensics, you talk to any police officer, and they'll tell you that the exit wound is infinitely worse than the entrance wound. And I can just imagine Jesus sitting at the table and he's breaking the bread that these men or their wives have prepared for them to eat. And they look at the backs of his hands and they're like, My God, it's him. Look at the scars. My God, we have spent half the day with Jesus. We didn't even know it was Him. Something was telling us that He, that he was different. Something was telling us in our heart that this God knew more than the average man. My God, it is Jesus. And He's gone. And what do they do? They go and tell everybody He's alive, it's not a rumor. It's a fact. We spent the day with him. We walked beside him. We listened to him tell us the gospel. He came into our home, and just like his body was broken, we saw his hands scarred from railroad spikes break the bread at our table. And we have seen God. Have you ever really seen God? I don't mean like see pictures of him on a flannel graph or a video screen or a movie. Have you ever seen Jesus to the point that he changed your life? Because if he didn't change your life, you didn't really see him. If he didn't change your life, you didn't really see Jesus. But you can see him today. You have seen him from the scriptures. You've seen him in the songs that we have sung to the Lord. You have seen him in the message I've just preached to you. And I want you to understand this one thing about Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. Father, I pray right now in this moment, if there is anybody in this room that has never completely and totally surrendered their life to you, they would see you in your beauty and your glory in this moment and that they would realize you do not hate them, you are not angry with them, you love them and you want to change their lives and you want to save them from their sin. So I pray right now, Spirit of God, that you would draw hearts to Jesus. And I'm gonna pray right now, Holy Spirit, that just like that day on the road to Damascus, when Cleopas and his friend walked with Jesus and felt the burning in their heart, that people right now in these metal chairs in a middle school gym would feel their heart burn inside their chest and know that you are here. Why don't you keep your eyes closed for a second if you would. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or get up or move around or leave and we're not going to sing a song yet. But I know that the spirit of God is in this room. And I'll tell you how I know that because his people are in this room and his word has been proclaimed in this room. So we don't have to ask the spirit of God to come. We just need to recognize his presence. He's in this room right now. But for some of you, you need to recognize his presence in a different way. You didn't realize when you came to church today that you were gonna come face to face with the reality Jesus Christ not only died on the cross in your place to take your sins away and to take away the penalty and the punishment of your sin, but that he is also walking beside you right now, that he is also with you right now, that he is also right now willing to break the bread for you to provide what you need to be your substance of living. And I know that most of you are Christians and many of you have given your life to Jesus. But I also know that some of you were probably just walking along thinking you were good. And maybe during this message today, the spirit of God has revealed the truth to you that religion doesn't save you. That going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a restaurant makes you a burger. That just talking about Jesus doesn't mean that you actually know Jesus. And so I'm not trying to manipulate you, but I'm trying to be as bold and clear as I can be. The only way we are saved is when we consciously repent of our sins and consciously put all of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved because we are confirmed. We are not saved because a priest or a pastor prays for us. We are not saved because we prayed a prayer at an altar and got Donked in a baptistry. We are not saved because we join a church or fill out a decision card. Those things are all good, but those things do not save us. Jesus saves us. And Jesus saves us when we make a decision, when we see him for who he is and we decide, I want to follow him and give my life to him. For some of you, that's what you need to do right now. So I'm asking you, I'm inviting you very clearly, very boldly, without apology, without backing up, without stuttering, I'm asking you right now, quit playing games. Jesus is here. He loves you. Your heart is burning inside of you. Ask him to save you. Give your life to him now. Receive him by faith. I'll help you get there, but it's gotta be your decision. So right now, if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, If you need to give your life to him, total control, all in, pray this to him right now where you sit. The words are not magic. The words alone don't save you. I'm not praying this prayer on your behalf because I'm not a priest. You've got to pray this to Jesus because he's right here, remember? He's right here. Pray this to him right now if you want to be saved from your sin and become his daughter, become his son. Pray this to him quietly in your heart, if you mean it. Jesus, I need you. Rescue me, Jesus. Save me from my sin. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. I'm all yours. And I'm all in. I see you now, Jesus. And you're awesome. With your eyes still closed, without anybody looking around, I'm gonna ask you to do something deliberately and boldly. I'm not gonna make you stand up or come forward, but I'm gonna ask you this question right here, right now. If you just prayed those words to the living God and in your heart, you knew that the spirit of God was drawing you to Jesus and you just opened your heart up to him and you gave him control. Would you do this immediately, deliberately, boldly, without fear, without hesitation? If you just prayed those words to Jesus, would you raise your hand right up above your head right now? Go, right now, raise it up. Can you raise them so I can see them? I'm the only person looking and then I'll let you put them back down. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to to raise your hand up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And put your hands down. Father, I want to thank you for the 14 people that have just responded to your love and your gospel. and I want to thank you that, that you have opened their eyes and Lord, I pray for them as they begin this journey of faith with you. Guys, open your eyes for just a second. And before Pastor Christian comes and dismisses us and we have our offering, um, 14 people just responded to the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Glory to God. Listen, if you, if you did that, if you responded, if you're one of the people that just raised their hands, or if you didn't raise your hand, raising your hand doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus does, okay? So don't get confused whether you raised your hand or not. If you just responded to the gospel today, I want you to take uh, your worship God that was given to you. There's a little form on there. And just go ahead and begin to fill that out. Matter of fact, all of you can go ahead and pick those up right now. And if you did make a decision for Christ today, if you did respond to the gospel, go ahead and begin to fill out that card. Everybody's gonna be filling it out. Okay, we know we have visitors today. We're glad you're here. But if you responded to the gospel today, if you received Christ by faith, if you prayed those words in your heart and you meant it, go ahead and begin to fill that card out. Christian will tell you what to do with it in just a moment when he comes out on the stage because we wanna help you as a church take those first steps as a new follower of Jesus Christ. We want you to not just make a decision. We want you to become a disciple. We'll say that again. Jesus doesn't just want decisions. Jesus wants disciples. And we want to help you as you take that journey and as you begin your your walk with Jesus today. Hey, um, before Christian comes out, I just want to say thank you for having us today. This has been an amazing weekend for us. Danielle and Christian have been so gracious. All of you have been so gracious to our family. First of all, you allowed me to bring my whole entire family with me. And that's a real uh, treat that I don't get to do very often. Uh, There's a generosity about this church that I believe is is Christ-like. And so we have been so honored and so blessed to be with you. Um, I hope I get to come and and serve you again. I hope I get to come and and be a part of what God's doing at this church. I would love to. Uh, You are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. And um, I'm looking forward to maybe meeting many of you after the service. Um, I'll be out in the lobby shaking hands and would love to meet you. And my wife will be with me. So I'm going to let Pastor Christian come out and tell us what to do next as we dismiss and prepare for our offering. Thanks for having me today. I hope I get to meet you afterwards.